Hello and welcome to the ANA Marketing Futures Podcast, a member of the ANA Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mike Berberich. By now, I'm sure you're aware that third-party cookies have been offered a stay of execution as tech giants like Facebook and Google imagine what the new world of digital advertising will look like. But if you listen to this podcast, sitting around and waiting for others to figure it out likely isn't your M.O. That's why today, my guest is Stephanie Bone, Global Chief Brand Officer at Vidmob, a data analytics platform focused on evaluating the effectiveness of creative. Earlier this year, Vidmob released the Essential Guide to Signal Loss for Digital Marketers, which serves as both an explainer as to what exactly is happening in the world of digital consumer tracking and an introduction to a new kind of first-party data, creative data. I'll let Stephanie explain. Let's start the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the ANA Marketing Futures Virtual Podcast Studio. Today, I am uh, just honored to be joined by Stephanie Bone, the Global Chief Brand Officer at Vidmob. Stephanie, thank you so much for swinging by the virtual studio. I'm so happy to be here, Michael. Thank you for having me on as a guest. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Um, we are going into something. We're going to talk about something that's hyper relevant today and has a lot of implications for the future, which is just where we like it uh, at the podcast here. Uh, but before we get into any of that, let's do a little bit of baseline setting. Tell all of our listeners a little bit about yourself and how your journey led you to Vidmob. Sure. So uh, I guess you could consider me a, a pretty conventionally trained brand marketer. When I graduated from undergraduate business school, I was recruited by American Express and I got some amazing three years of training as a, as a brand marketer um, and loved every minute of it. But I also had this helpless and closeted love of film and I just had to chase my potentially ridiculous dreams to come out to Los Angeles and work in the movie business with no connections, no prior experience whatsoever, but I did that. And being a, a helplessly practical person, I also decided to get my MBA. So I, I applied to one school and fortunately for me, I, I got in and I, I enrolled at UCLA at the Anderson School to get my MBA. And that was in 2001 and really good timing because I, I left two weeks before 9-11 and um, I would have potentially been affected um personally by by the by the events of 9-11 so I I'm very grateful that I made that choice but yeah I I spent 15 years in uh in the entertainment industry I joined Warner Brothers after business school and worked in a number of jobs around the studio and then was was brought on by Netflix to run feature film marketing um and then I moved over to Vidmob and really the the way that I came to Vidmob was as a customer. Uh, I, I hired Vidmob to do some work while I was helping to run Rotten Tomatoes, which Warner Brothers had acquired. I was and about to say, if you don't mention that you used to run Rotten Tomatoes, I would mention <laughs> that is just so supremely cool. I can't stand it. We were we were developing a, a, a host of videos to bring to Comic-Con and we needed to create videos really quickly. And I reached out to friends of mine who had just started this awesome company, Vidmob, and asked them if they were up for the challenge. And little did I know I was one of their first customers ever, but Vidmob created some incredible content. And it actually, at the time, was the most viewed, one of the videos they created was the most viewed video 
in Rotten Tomatoes 18 year history. Fortunately, we had Jennifer uh, Jennifer Lawrence in the video. So I think that helped matters. That helped a little bit. But I was, it helped. I was just really impressed with the, the VidMob team and how, how agile they were and how fast, how quickly they worked. Um, well, when I got to Netflix, which, um, which is where I went after Rotten Tomatoes, I found myself really struggling with the creative process. And, you know, not surprisingly at Netflix, you've got a lot of money to spend on media campaigns. It was more than I had ever, a budget larger than I had ever managed before. But I was struggling with not knowing if the creative was doing its job. And it was like an embarrassment of riches in terms of marketing hooks and angles that we could work with. So we could create as much content as we needed, but we didn't create it quickly. And we also were going on gut. And so it was really frustrating for me to be spending tens and hundreds of millions of dollars on, on creative that was basically an, a gut instinct. And when VidMob, uh, when I reconnected with VidMob and the founders, um, I was telling them about my challenge and they said, that's really what we're setting out to change. And we're setting out to be the first company that can actually measure creative effectiveness and optimize creative mid-flight so that the dollars that you're spending on media are going against creative that is designed to perform and designed to deliver the results that you care about. And I was sold. I figured if VidMob was going to solve this problem that Netflix felt so acutely, they are going to be a rocket ship and I want to be on their team. So in 2017, I left Netflix and I, I joined VidMob full-time. I had been a board advisor for a couple of years because I was just so enamored with what they were up to. And I joined full-time as their chief marketing officer in 2017. And then my, my role evolved to global chief brand officer about two years ago. That's phenomenal. That's just a really, really cool journey to take to, to end up here. And that you got to actually see the company in action and see the vision and kind of organically grow your, your way into VidMob. Um, that's a pretty unique story for, for our guests. So thank you very much for sharing. So the reason that uh, you and I were put in contact and the reason that we're here chatting today is because VidMob has recently released uh, a study that is, I would say, hyper-relevant to the time right now. It is the essential guide to signal loss for digital marketers. Now, can you explain to our readers that might not immediately get what that is, uh, what that is, and why this was the focus of this study for VidMob? Sure. So in January of 2021, Apple formally announced changes to its IDFA, which for those of you who haven't become familiar with that acronym, it stands for Identifier for Advertisers. And changing the IDFA meant that consumers would get more control over who has access to their data and what they're doing on the mobile web. And in in doing so, Apple was making it harder for advertisers and app publishers to track people based on their online behavior. Google quickly followed suit and they announced major changes to third-party cookies, which would have the same consequences for the web. And you know, both companies were very admirably signaling support for consumer privacy, which I think we can all agree is a really good thing. But the announcements were a huge blow to the $450 billion advertising industry. And so, you know, 
the the main reason for that is because for the past decade, the majority of online advertising has been powered by IDFA and third-party cookies. So advertisers went to a bit of a frenzy, and you know I, I understand why that is, because advertising optimization technology has really become a crutch for digital marketers. You could use algorithms to more or less chase consumers around the web and serve hyper-relevant ads based on what they were doing or not doing. And you could serve ads to the you know, perfect person at the perfect time in the perfect place. That precision gave marketers a ton of peace of mind knowing that their media dollars were being spent as efficiently as possible. But that was all about to change. And so, you know, we, VidMob works with brand advertisers to provide data-informed ad creative. And we saw this as an opportunity to, one, provide a document that was, in essence, an aggregation of all this stuff that was happening that was changing really quickly, but really complicated and headache-inducing. And I think uh, my time at Rotten Tomatoes probably made me fall in love with the whole idea of information aggregation. And so this digest, this, this, this ebook was essentially an aggregation of all the, the acronyms and the legal policies and the, and the company changes that marketers really needed to know to hold their own in a conversation, but no one has time to read everything and, and stay up to date. So this was sort of a little gift for, for marketers just to have, who are time strapped, to have an easy cliff notes version, if you will, of what was happening and why. But the other, the other motivator for us doing this guide was to present a different perspective, which is an optimistic perspective, that there's actually a very happy ending and there is a silver lining. And that is that as advertisers lose the ability to measure and optimize the placement, so who ads are going to, they're gaining with the advent of new technology, the ability to measure and optimize what is said, the creative. So measuring and optimizing the efficacy of visuals and messaging and words and music. And if you can do that, you can actually have a much greater impact on the outcome of a campaign than you can if you optimize the audience. And we have lots of quotes that we've collected from Google and Facebook and, and Catalina and Dynamic Logics that have all said something to the effect of creative is the number one driver of campaign performance. And it's somewhere in the order of 60 to 80% of campaign outcomes. So the audience optimization part of it is, is a really small part. You know, in some, some companies say it's less than a 25% of the reason a campaign works or doesn't. So marketers should feel good. You know, we understand it's really stressful that this advertise this audience data is going away, but marketers feel excited about this new superpower to be able to really understand if what is being said is working. And if it's not, the ability to fix it as a campaign is underway is really powerful. And what we're seeing is marketers are, are experiencing tremendous growth as a result. So that's really what this, this story was that we wanted to put together, that here's the situation, here's how and why we got here, and here's the good news. Yeah, and it is. And it's so funny that <clears throat> a crutch is exactly the right way to call it because 
it sounds better. <clears throat> you know, we've got it. We know exactly this and they, they tend to buy our products. So we're going to hit exactly this person exactly there. Um, whereas the creative is like, I think that people feel about this and we want to bring that emotion to the, the, the forefront. That sounds, you know, uh, uh, less, you know, solid and more of a gut feeling when the reality is that the other way was just an easy way. It was a click-through rate. It was something very easy to look at and say we did. And so I don't know why it didn't work. I did everything right. Um, so yeah, it could be a little bit um, frightening, but this is returning marketing back to its essence. And um, you know, for all ANA members listening right now, go check this report out. It's really uh, well done as a study that's hand in hand with some practical advice along the way and explainers. The essential guide is a very good uh, moniker for it because it felt I felt much smarter. And had I had a digital empire to to go out and run, I would feel like I'd have some steps to take there. So ANA.net, just search for VidMob. That's V-I-D-M-O-B. It, it should be the first thing that pops up. Obviously, you can go on the Googles and check VidMob out uh, in their own glory, um, but it's also available on ANA.net. Now, the study itself, what was the methodology behind it? I know that you said that there was a lot of aggregation, but what were you aggregating? What was the process of putting it together? Yeah, it, you know, it was it was actually a really fun and sort of challenging process for us because the first part of the guide, which was a digest of what is happening and why and what was the genesis, was a learning opportunity for us. You know, we're not we're not privacy experts at VidMob. We're intelligent creative experts. So we had a bit to learn on our end in putting this report together. And so we we gathered the support of of experts um, within the company and and our partners across the social and digital ecosystem, and then had our fair share of attorneys check our work, <laughs> make sure that everything was was correct. But was you know, I think the interesting thing for me was to really reflect on what started this whole thing, and it was GDPR. It was Europe really started the the ball rolling in the earlier part of the um, you know in the early two thousands with the idea that consumers deserve a right to know what information is collected about them. And if they don't want that information to be collected, they have a right to request that it stop being collected. And if they want to see what information is collected, they have a right to request it and get that data within a reasonable time frame. And I remember I was working at Warner Brothers running global CRM at the time. And so it was a, a really interesting and kind of scary moment for us, like how how are we going to do this? We're a global company, so all of the data that we're collecting from Europe has to be collected in this way, and all of the data that we're collecting from non-European residents has to be this way. And so, like a lot of other brands, I'm sure, we, we eventually got to the place of um, operate around the most restrictive market, meaning Let's just do for everybody what we have to do for Europeans. And that, that was in the best interest of everybody else. Um, not surprisingly, several years later, the U.S. followed suit, and that was led by California. And in 2020, California passed the California Consumer Privacy Act. Um, and another ruling was, was passed called the California Privacy and Enforcement Act. And all of these were really just... Um, you could think of them as the U.S. version or the California version of the GDPR with some 
interesting flavors and twists, but that really was the the spirit of it to give Californians those same rights that Europe the the EU was affording its its citizens. And then other states within the the country started to follow suits. So you had Utah and Virginia and Oklahoma and Washington all developed their own privacy acts. So, you know, we 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 know that we this is not necessarily a, at the federal level yet, but it's it's heading in that direction. And um, a lot of states are starting to realize that their 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 citizens deserve this level of protection, and it's a, it's a good thing. And so, Apple and Google and a host of other companies are realizing that they shouldn't necessarily need to wait for a law to be passed in order to um, develop mechanisms to protect consumers. So that was, I think, the impetus for Apple and, and then Google to decide on their own, of their own accord, this is how we're going to operate. And Apple certainly took a very clear and resolute stance on that, and Google as well, but they recently have uh, announced within the last few weeks that rather than sunsetting cookies in 2022, it will be closer to 2023. Um, it, you know, it, it directly affects the entire advertising industry. And so they need to do some more work to, to make sure that the changes they make are done in the, in the smartest way possible. So the, a big part of this project was figuring out, you know, what were the different state laws? What were the different country laws? I think the origin story is really useful for marketers to understand the why, because if you don't understand the why, it just seems so unfair. Um, and if, as marketers, we can understand the why, we just remind ourselves this ultimately has to be safe for consumers to work. Um, and as Apple and Google make their decisions and other companies follow suit, the natural consequence of that is that there's a higher level of trust built between brands and advertisers and consumers. And that's, that's ultimately a really good thing. Yeah. And it's honestly work that the industry as a whole, as a monolith needs, they've earned that need to go back and pull some of that trustworthiness back. You know what I mean? It didn't disappear out of nowhere. Um, and I, I know most of our listeners will know this, but just in case you're listening, the GDPR, the CTPA, um, these are for the civilians, not for the physical ground you're marketing to them. So as, far, as soon as somebody from Paris flies to New York and you are digitally marketing them, the GDPR still exists. So that's what made it so, you know, immediately uncontainable. So I think, yeah, I think that is the smart thing. That is what the ANA advocates. It's where, what is the highest standard? Meet it and you can call it a day. Um, so we're seeing that, you know, what marketers have depended on for, you know, a decade, maybe a little less, but for most of the last 10 years, this toolkit is starting to disintegrate and it's starting to disintegrate at a pretty rapid pace. But just because creativity is coming back to the forefront doesn't mean that we have to throw out tech as an enabler, as support, as a facilitator. So could you tell us a little bit about VidMob's creative intelligence tool, uh, which uses tech in a way that helps make creative more resonant? I, I couldn't agree more. You said it perfectly. Humankind and machines can coexist and they can make each other better and stronger if they're used in the right way. So, um, you know, we think that there are things that machines can do better than humans, 
like tagging all of the visual and audio details in in a piece of content. I know this firsthand because when I was a junior peon at Warner Brothers, I was given that glamorous task of tagging TV spots and trailers. And I can't tell you how many times I watched Harry Potter spots and had to write down when he flashed his wand and cast the Expelliarmus spell <laughs> or when I was watching spots for Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and I had to write down every time an Oompa Loompa did a cartwheel and I will tell you that that process made me hate chocolate for years it was so mind-numbing and so you know the technology that we invented can do that tagging work because of computer vision and optical character recognition and sentiment analysis, it can do that in a matter of seconds. So you could take thousands and thousands of ads and run them through AI and know precisely what's in the ad. And that really is, is what we've call, we call creative data. So if you think about a piece of content, a video, a video is really just a series of, of data points. And so those data points are the colors, the objects, the facial expressions, the, the pacing, um, the presence of an animal, the presence of a celebrity, all of those are data points. And so that set of data is called creative data. And that was our first step in realizing that you could get that with the advent of technology that no human could really do nearly as fast or efficiently without wanting to blow their brains out. It's really, it's a hard exercise. Um, but what do you do? do with the data is really like that's what would make it valuable and so at vidmob what we did was we crossed that data set with the data that you could get from an api integration with with facebook and pinterest and tiktok and twitter which is the the performance of the media the clicks the views the conversions so when you take the creative data and you cross it with the performance data what you get is a really accurate picture of how creative decisions affect media outcomes. And so you could learn that having a, you know, a model in the ad look straight to camera versus off to the left drove click-through rates 56% higher than when a model is looking to the right at the opening shot of an ad. Or that presenting the logo in the upper right-hand corner is 2x more effective for view-through than showing it in the lower left-hand corner. And the truth is, it's the small details that tend to have the most profound effect on the outcome. Why? I have no idea. Humans are pretty unpredictable, and, and the world is changing, you know, <laughs> you know, quicker than we ever imagined it would. So all of the conditions that a person finds themselves in affect how they receive content. And so all of those different variables, which we couldn't potentially begin to explore or, or define... They are what they are, but if we know how how creative is being received, we can fine-tune it to improve the outcomes and get them closer to what we want as marketers. Um, so back to your original question of how do you take this technology and make it work with humans? So you have the technology do the stuff that humans don't do nearly that well, and then you have humans do stuff that machines just can't do and I don't think we'll ever be able to do, which is use artistic nuance and, and skill to tell a story and look for emotional cues and know when to raise the music or lower the music or slow it down or, you know, zoom into someone's face because their eyebrow is slightly 
raised and that 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 gives off an emotional sensibility those are the things that humans are exclusively good at so humans can receive this data that machines can deliver through ai and make better creative choices that deliver better results so it's really it's it's the combination of ai and human creativity that allows marketers to do this To me, this has similarities as I'm as I'm listening. It has similarities to some consumer neuroscience tactics, um, but it does feel like there's a difference. Could you explain kind of what this is in comparison to, uh, you know, an eye test or, or things mm-hmm. like that? Neuroscience is really observing what happens physiologically when consumers are confronted with with visuals or, or content or videos. It's, you know, what are the hormone emissions or, you know, what is the endocrine system doing in response to different stimuli? And so neuroscience is is the study of what human, what the body does in response. What VidMob is doing is actually looking at behavior, irrespective of what the the brain receptors are are telling the body to do or the brain to think. It's really, is the person clicking? Is the person watching? Is the person buying? So we're, we're not really investigating um, the physiological prompters of the behavior. We're just looking at the behavior in response to the creative. And I think neuroscience is amazing. And, you know, eye gaze tracking and brain scanning are the conventional mechanisms for, for neuromarketing, as the term is. Um, it's not really our focus today. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, and I mean, yeah, I mean, it's really, I always bring back, so, um, I believe it was MasterCard and IBM Watson were working together to just pull data and IBM had recently acquired the weather channel and they just wanted to see with what, what weather and for no explainable reason, when it's rainy and cloudy outside, yogurt sales go up. It just, that's it. And it happened at such a reliable rate that they're like, I can't tell you with any certainty why this is happening. But if I were a yogurt brand, the second I saw a cloud, I'd start up in my digital spend. That's just me. I'd start giving coupons away like, you know, they're going out of style. So I like that, that it's, you know, it's getting to the end result. You know, you want to engage this customer. You want to bring them to the next, you know, step of the journey. You want them to fully consume this information you're giving them and whether they're doing it with a smile on their face or like kind of whatever, you know, it really, if you're playing at scale, that's a little beside the point. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, one of the things that always frustrated me as a, when I was on the brand side was when my agency leads would come in and tell me with utter confidence, this is, this is it. This is the spot that's going to win people over. And they would sort of, you know, trade on the the equity they earned by their position and their years in, in you know, working in a creative field. And I was sort of expected to just believe them and trust them because of their their experience. And at the end of the day, nobody can predict what people will do. And certainly in a world where we have a pandemic and natural disasters and, you know, shootings, I mean, and 
I'm sure there's a list of very good things I could say, but all the bad things come to mind. Um, it's really hard to peg what someone's going to do. So we're not here. We're actually, you know, the reason I like VidMob's approach is we're not trying to tell you up front what's going to happen. We're just trying to give marketers the tools to test and find out for yourself. And ultimately, the the playbook, the 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 ingredient for success here is having having an appetite to test the whole way through and not figuring out, okay, you know, rainy weather equals yogurt sales spike. Always do that. Do it, but keep testing because that may not always be the case. And so you're always, you need to be looking at what's working for your brand on a particular channel in a particular market for a particular audience at all times, because that will without a doubt change. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, this past year was a very, very good uh, and and maybe overdramatic example of how nothing is predictable and nothing is going to be any for, yeah, for any given amount of time. Um, so we're talking about what, what creative intelligence can do and kind of in real time, or at least in a quick enough iterative fashion that you could be, can you, uh, is there anything you could tell us about the tech behind creative intelligence without giving away, uh, you know, the store? Mm-hmm. It's, it's actually quite simple. The idea that, um, you know, a video is, 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 is more or less a, a series of code, understanding what, what meets the eye and looking at how what meets the eye influences what a consumer does. And so really the, the secret sauce is gathering up a data set that is called creative data, which is essentially a long list of tags of everything that AI can see. And bringing that together with a data set that is a long list of actions, everything that a group of people did who were exposed to an ad. And so when, when those two data sets are combined, you have a very precise readout of how, what the relationship is between what someone sees and what someone does. And the beauty of it is really not in knowing it, but acting on it. There's a lot of companies out there that have this amazing promise of data. We have more data than the other. You know, they sell themselves on quantity of data. It's my belief that data is pretty useless unless it's actionable. And the combination of knowing the relationship between visuals and outcomes is only useful is if you have a group of people at the ready to receive those insights and optimize the the media, the, the, the creative, and send that back into a campaign. My biggest pet peeve as a marketer was the whole idea of a postmortem, waiting eight weeks to receive a 50-page report to tell me what worked and didn't work. That would be completely obsolete in a matter of days and totally useless for my next campaign. And so the 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 secret sauce of what we've built our tech is this constant stream of insights and this constant activity of of doing something with the insights to fine tune the creative so creative in, is in essence fluid it's not a fixed thing it used to be i remember we would work so hard and do market research and 
learn everything we could about a product, its features, its capabilities, an audience, and then hope that what we did was was the right approach. And then that was it. It's no longer the case. Creative can live and breathe and evolve. And when when that happens and it's informed by data, the outcomes are dramatically different. And so we've seen, you know, a two to five X increase in ROAS when creative gets smarter over time. And you could think about a campaign, right? So you 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 get a campaign started and eventually it just sort of dies off. That's that's life, right? there's fatigue, you know, people are, you've reached everyone you're going to reach, or people are just tired of seeing the same ad. And we all call that in the industry, the the decay curve. And so if the creative keeps getting smarter over time, and it's learning what, what consumers respond to, and is as, as optimized as a result, you actually don't have to have a decay curve, you can, you can flip it. And you end the campaign when you want to end the campaign. It doesn't end for you. So that's the whole premise, the thesis that on, on which we built the company is that you could use data in order to sort of flip the decay curve and keep your campaign going and keep finding newer and better audiences, but also with, with, campaign, with creative that is more and more effective over time. Obviously, campaign optimization, this was what, you know, the core, the foundation that VidMob was built on. But have you been seeing brands use this creative data in any other ways? Like, is this kind of evolving uh, for your clientele? Yeah. So one of the newest features that we released is called brand governance. It's a capability that allows marketers to really, if you think about a global CMO, who is pulling out their hair because they can't get a grasp on all of the creative that their lines of business are producing day in, day out in markets all around the world. Like, How does the CMO know if that creative is on brand, is reinforcing brand equity, and is adhering to best practices for a platform or for the brand itself? And so this this new solution that we off, that we released just a few weeks ago called Brand Governance gives marketing leaders control and visibility to score ads pre-flight and know before they even run if they are on brand and if they are complying with best practices and anyone, any outliers can be addressed before $1 is spent. And so that's that's been a pretty special solution that was built on popular request. We had a lot of our clients were asking for it. That was that was um, something that was in very high demand. So we were happy to be able to bring that to market. Yeah, I could see that being like the end of a nightmare to a lot of massive, you know, CPG, obviously, but a lot of people mm-hmm. with like a lot of plates spinning all around the world. Um, that has to be, you know, yeah, godsend for them. Um <clears throat> Because yeah, we've you know the the A and A is no shortage of stories of being like yeah yeah we've got you know X billion dollars in the market, but uh, if I could find half of it and what it's what it's being used like you know what what's what's out there representing of us, yeah that's a, a massive challenge. So that's very cool that they've you've kind of pit, not pivoted but evolved the platform to also offer that. Yeah, I mean, I think the the name of the game for a leader is to empower teams, right? You don't want to be a micromanager. As as a CMO, you want your teams to feel a sense of ownership over 
an agency over their over the brands that they lead. But how do you reconcile that with the idea that you're on the hook <laughs> if things start to go awry? How do you know? How do, how do you how do you keep an eye at a distance on what is what everyone is doing and if the creative which is a huge line item on the P&L is as effective as it needs to be. And so this this tool is is perfect for that. Awesome. Uh, so Stephanie, we're going to do a little bit of a kind of pivot. We're going to change directions a little bit now in the podcast. Uh, this is something I like to ask all of our guests. Um, it, it just kind of brings up a lot of really great, you know, POVs from a lot of smart people. Uh, you fall into that category squarely. So Stephanie, what are your thoughts on diversity, equity, and inclusion? I should have worn, well, this is an audio podcast. I have a t-shirt that says diversity fuels creativity. And that if I was brave enough to get a tattoo, that would be the first one I would get. I say it all the time. I wear my t-shirt with, with pride. I truly believe that diversity is the number one ingredient for building a creative organization because, you know, for us, our customers hire us to produce creative that respectfully reflects the world around us. And how could we possibly do that if we ourselves didn't understand the world around us? And how could we understand the world around us if we didn't have people of all walks of life at the company? And that's really what we've we've tried to do and we're not perfect, but we're we're always challenging ourselves to get better. And it's I mean we have, you know, near 50/50 gender split. Um, but one of the things that I think about a lot is this, this, um, th- these ca- categories of diversity. There's, there's surface diversity and there's deep diversity. And surface diversity is what meets the eye. You can, by looking at a person, you can tell the color of their skin or if they have an overt physical disability, if they're pregnant. Um, but there's so much to diversity that you can't see at first blush. And frankly, it's very uncomfortable to ask and in some cases illegal to ask, but you have to ask the right questions in interviews and recruit in the right places in order to give yourself the opportunity to bring people in who meet those deep diversity, um, who check off the deep diversity check boxes. And so by deep diversity, I mean bringing people in who might've come from a low income background, bringing people in who might've been previously incarcerated for a white collar crime or, you know, a a nonviolent crime, I should say, bringing people in who have a very subtle disability that wouldn't necessarily be obvious when you meet them. Um, Bringing people in who are in the middle of, of a, of a transition in their life. Um, People who are struggling with, with gender identity. There's so much to diversity that I think we don't, as, as, a, as an industry and as, as a world, think about. And so I am all for gender diversity and, you know, racial diversity. And I think that I, I, I stand by that. But I think we have to think about diversity in a deeper way in order to accomplish a truly um, well-rounded company um, in order to tell the stories that really reflect the cost, the consumers that our brands are hiring us to talk to. Um, and I think that you can't do that unless you drill into people to hire for difference. So when you're in a recruiting mode, look at the team that you have and think, who don't I have? 
what would be what would be considered different from what I have. So it's not just about hiring a woman. It's hiring someone that is different in many respects to the people you already have. And if you don't, then you're doing yourself as a leader a huge disservice. because you grow as a person as a result. Um, Amazing, amazing. So Stephanie, this next question, half of the people just, boom, takes five seconds, they know it's no big deal. The other half, give me this look, like they wanna throw me right outside of the virtual studio for asking. (laughs) So let's see what kind of guest you are. Stephanie Bone. I'm nervous. Chief Brand Officer of VidMob. What is your favorite album of all time and why of all time that is the pressure yeah okay i'm just gonna say it beyonce the album four let's go how can i not choose an album that has the song who run the world yeah absolutely absolutely yeah I personally, I'm a little more obsessed with Lemonade, but four is absolute banger after banger after banger. Yeah. Uh, it's a little more hype, I think, than Lemonade. But It's uh, so fun. So fun. It's so fun. I would have to say, though, the close second might be Air Supply's greatest hits. I love it. <laughs> Typically, I, I, I scold people for trying to fit more than one. But if you're going to give me Air Supply's greatest hits. I just have to. That's in second place. But I just for, have to. Favorite album of all time, Beyonce's four. Love that. Love that. Love that. This will really age me, but I've seen Air Supply in concert three times. Oh, that is crazy. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so let us bring it back. Let's go from Air Supply to something a little more recent. What are you listening to now, whether it's an artist, a song, a podcast, or you're reading a book? I... I'm a podcast junkie, so outside of your podcast, which I love. You're too kind. Uh, I My guilty pleasure these days is Smartless, which is hosted by Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and Sean Hayes. It's fantastic. It is. I, I started um, taking long walks recently, realizing that I just have to get off my butt. I spent a lot of time on my butt during COVID, and I can't take a long walk without listening to a podcast. That's my that's my thing. And smart, I've listened to every single episode of Smartless, and it just the time flies. So it's funny. They have great guests. Highly recommend it. And then I would say the um, the two businessy podcasts that I listen to are um, C- the CMO podcast by Jim Stengel, who used to run P and G. He was a CMO P and G. And then I also kind of love B two B marketing leaders with which is hosted by a guy named Dave Gerhart. I find that his he has great guest CMO B two B CMOs come on and share their war stories and he's he's they just have great banter and it's a lot of fun to listen to and I, I do learn a lot. That's awesome. Yeah, and the B two B space like don't sleep on it. There are some really really interesting there are some interesting challenges that need to be solved for in that B two B space that would expand your marketing mind more than if you were you know B two C for life more than you might think. So. Excellent, Mm -hmm. excellent recommendations all around. Um, Stephanie, thank you so much. Uh, This has been such a pleasure chatting with you uh, this afternoon. Uh, Thank you so much for being a guest on the Marketing Futures podcast. Thanks for having me. It was so much fun. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Marketing Futures podcast. Have an idea for a topic or guest for a future episode? Shoot us a note at marketingfutures at ana.net. 
Be sure to subscribe to the Futures Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, if you're looking to get smart on the future, point your browsers to ana.net slash futures.